Today on the Hey Kings podcast, we're joined by TJ Steele. TJ, you've been pretty inspirational to our Hey Kings moderator group and to a lot of other folks in your innovation and your, your striving for improvement in the industry. You're pretty famous for a big baler and a big swather, too. <laughs> Why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself? The most important thing I learned in my life more recently than, than earlier was to realize that we're all in a process. And to learn your life is part of a process to get you to your destination. Until I invested in ourselves, or my wife and I in ourselves to where this was really revealed to me, none of that big machinery would have probably ever have made it um, to be seen. But in my process, at five years old, I went to the field with my dad just to ride on a tractor to have our hired man not show up. So he was a rake man short. And at five years old, I told my dad I could run that rake on my own, and I did. And I became the primary rake man for our operation and his partnership at the age of five. And I shared that job with my grandfather for several years. At eight years old, I became the main mo guy in the same operation. My dad's partnership split and we bought a new mower and I became the mow man. At 14, I took out my first loan to farm my granddad's ground and I farmed on my own with my dad's co-signature. And at 18, he dropped his signature off of my operating loans. I farmed that ground through my high school days and at 18, I figured out that I made no money. I didn't have hardly any expense because I was still living at home and I had to go get a job. At 22, I got back in the cattle business. And in a period of about three years, I grew to 450 mama cows. At the age of 21, I wrote the largest check that I wrote in my life till I was 35. At 25, I was taking care of 650 head of cattle for my operation and a veterinary's operation combined. In 2007, at the age of 25, I got my loans called. That was the highest point of my financial lifetime up until this part of my life. And I lost it all within a matter of eight months. And right in the middle of that, I married my wife in 2008 at the age of 26. I moved to Liberal, still in the hay business, uh, running a hay operation there, which brought me to Texas to another partnership. And in that period of time, we had five kids from 2008 to uh, 2016. I've never been out of the hay business in my whole life. I'm 37, and I started at five. So for 32 years, I have never missed one season in the hay field. Now, uh, tell me a bit about your operation. So we currently are owning and operating um, a fairly large custom hay business in the Texas Panhandle. It's been downsized over the last few years due to some changes. I ventured out there kind of following job in the hay business and met a partner and we started a partnership in about 2009. We started working together in 2010. The rubber road hit the road. and Then from 11 to 17 was the stint of that partnership and through that partnership, we bailed somewhere around 500 to 600,000 bales, whether that be three by four, four by four, or round bales. You know, you could take that down to tons to about 
three to 400,000 tons over that 10 year stretch. That guy was in oil and gas and he decided that in 2017, due to some health reasons with his wife and moving up in age, he decided to sell all the equipment. And at that point in time, the partnership owned all of the equipment through his name and not mine, but I was the only one. I was the, the base of the labor and uh, management of the operation. So he was remotely located and wasn't actively involved every day, but we spoke frequently. 2017, November of 2017, came to me and said that he's out and we needed to find a resolve for both of us to move forward, which led over a series of conversations to a complete sellout for him. That got us started back in with absolutely no machinery. That was kind of a another phase of my life that I had been there once before and uh, started again. And in two years, we've come up with the machinery that you referenced earlier and continued in the same business with the goal and motivation to uh, find a profit in what we're doing and trying to advance our industry further forward. I feel like it's been stuck in a rut for about 50 years. I, I don't disagree with you there. Tell me a little bit about the type of production that you have going on. What crops are you harvesting? So in the Texas Panhandle, most of it is all irrigated cropland, large amounts of acres of dry land that's not necessarily high productive. So you're covering a lot of acres with not a lot of tonnage return, minus the the irrigated, irrigated stuff you have. A lot of tons and a lot of acres out there, but not all of it is available to be used for for our business. And primarily, it's residue products after harvest. We don't actually own any of the ground. We don't actually row crop farm any of it. We just solely package feed crops for feed yards from green wheat hay to grass hay to wheat straw, milo stalks, corn stalks, anything from you know, good quality stuff to just your basic filler, which is the demand for a lot of tons when you're in large feed yard areas. They just got to have a lot of tons of something. You know, in most areas, what we bale is considered trash, honestly. We don't bale real high quality. There is a lot of alfalfa, but that's not what our business is focused on by no means. And we, we cover a wide variety of it. We usually start in May, about mid-May. And usually won't shut down until about Christmas time or even into the next year. Well, that's pretty different. Now, uh, everything's bigger in Texas, or so they say. Can you talk about the scale of the dairies and feedlots and and the animal agriculture that you're producing products for? Sure. We're not in the largest feed yard area right where we live, but we have several several pretty large yards. South of us, about 100 miles, is Hereford. They're considered the beef capital of the world. I actually couldn't even tell you how many beef cattle are standing in one county down there in yards, but it's a significant number. If you come back up to where we live, in probably a 60-mile circle, we are servicing or have serviced uh, about three yards, two of which are over 100,000 head yards. They may not have 100,000 there all the time. Uh, but they usually try to keep a capacity of 75 and greater. Uh, we have had uh, 
two sister yards for several years that are 75,000 head between the two of them. There's a lot of wheat cattle pasture. It's a lot of custom grazing. It's a lot on the dry land acres because there's just a lot of acres that uh, guys put to wheat for wind erosion purposes, and they can utilize it for cattle if they have enough water. And it'll stretch for miles right there where we live. There's like four sections, all contiguous, that's touching through fences that they'll run wheat pasture cattle on. And the dairies, there is one of the largest dairies around here. I'd say it is the, if not the largest in the panhandle, and the guy's building another one. Last I knew, he was milking about 38,000 cows without the new facility. And just not an addition, he's putting on a whole nother facility. It's really opened my eyes and his operation, just the size, the scale, the amount of feed, man, the amount of economy that goes through this area in those big yards is just phenomenal. Um, it's like any other business. They got to be extremely efficient because margins are tight. And they know what they're doing. And they really, you better know what you're doing as well to work with them. And I'd say that's one advantage that I've had in my upbringing is I can, I can set at both sides of the table. I understand the cattle and I'm able to understand row crop and then bring the two worlds together to help feed cattle has been something I've really excelled at. Well, I'm trying to set the stage here for a big round baler. It, uh, that, that's legend on Hay Kings now. Tell me how that got started. Well, I would say that the first words spoken about anything of that size probably come about 10 or 15 years ago and actually originated from a friend of mine, a neighbor, an older gentleman that lives in that small Kansas town. And his remark was, I don't know why somebody doesn't build a machine that is large enough that we don't have to handle so many packages and that it would last a lifetime. One day I was standing across the road from a cotton field at a, a custom operation. They're farmers, but they stripped a lot of cotton custom. And they came down the road with, you know, four strippers and three bull buggies and three module builders and and a whole slew of pickups behind them. And I just thought to myself, my word, matter of fact, I think I said it out loud. I said, my word, I'd hate to be that poor individual. And then I turned around, yeah, I turned around and looked on my side of the road, and I had four balers, four shredders, three stackers, and the corner of the field looked like a parking lot. And I said, I'm worse off than he is. More friends of mine uh, I come acquainted with when I moved to this area, really good farmers. They're uh, two brothers, kind of older in age, but really good, very efficient farmers. And they were running the first two cotton round balers in the country. And I looked at this guy's lineup of conventional equipment that was almost strung out for a mile down the highway. Off in the distance, I could see this round baler, cotton round baler running with one guy. And I looked at mine and I said, there's got to be a better way. And uh, that started really was the entry part of starting that journey. There is a huge difference between machinery paying for an operation and the operation having to pay for the machinery. When the partner decided, he seen the same thing. We hit a market downturn for about two or three years, had a lot of hay on hand, took a pretty big loss. We were still in good shape because we did have enough stuff paid for. And, you know, we're just treading water, but who wants to work that hard and fight that battle 
to tread water. And with him being up in age and his wife was sick, he said, I'm out. And I said, man, I understand. And that left me in a position to figure out what we wanted to do. And prior to that, I'd come in contact with a guy that's done the welding and fabricating on it by the name of Wayne Vogel. I met him through the monster mower that we're running. That's what sparked the conversation. And and about a year and a half after that, birthed the big baler. Can you stop and talk about that monster mower? And then we'll get back to the baler. In this journey of all the equipment, we were running three self-propelled swathers and four shredders. Actually, we had six shredders, had some different styles for different crops. And on this thought process, I kept thinking, I just need one machine that I can build that would would accommodate more than just one product. I can't uh, continue to buy this volume of equipment for specific crops because the, it doesn't pencil out well, as most of us know or have figured out. And leads you on a search and Google's your best friend. You know, it's great to have, you know, everything at your fingertips. So I'm always searching, you know, bigger equipment, you know, more efficient stuff. I think of an idea and let's just Google it and see who else thinks like me, you know. Stealing ideas from other industries or other manufacturers. You just to see who's thinking, you know. Right. Um, Everything's red, green or yellow or orange, you know. And I like to see stuff that's shot made from someone's mind, not, not from someone's theory, you know? And I, I see this mower and I start researching him and his company and his business and figured out really quickly that this guy has a mind that runs much farther than most. And he's after ideas and things in machinery for production and lifetime that really kind of lined up with mine. And some of the stuff that he's built is just nothing short of being amazing. So I call him and we just have this conversation about this mower. And and I actually was wanting to build a massive shredder was actually my design. And he said, well, how do you plan on bailing this? I told him about our operation and what we're doing. And, and he said, why, why do you need such a machine to this size if not happy with conventional balers. And I said, well, there's actually a, a baler in the market. So he cultivated my mind for the machine. And then he said, well, let's build the baler first and started our kind of journey together, uh, several conversations. And he's an older gentleman and his mind never stops as does mine. We'd call multiple times a day at, you know, any hour early in the morning or late at night. And ask ideas and we put it uh, put it together in our minds no paper just in our minds and i said where do we go from here and his next response was you know you're going to come up here and meet me so that was the first time i actually got to see the mower when i went up to talk to him about the baler he had built it in thoughts of of uh, hitting the silage market or that bigger production market but it just never really took off and his area shifted over to triple mowers and I'd run a set of triple mowers in our area, and they're great machines, but doesn't really fit what we're doing. Anyhow, this this machine pushes three conventional headers. The headers are self-propelled swather heads, so they're the most durable of any rotary cutter on the market. Not because it's red in its case, but just because every every self-propelled head is the most durable built. So the machine is built to push three of them. It's configured to fold up and go down the road. It has a cab that rotates 180 degrees. It's reversible direction, so it steers 
cab sets over the steering axle so you go down the road it steers like a car when you're in the field it rear steers like a combine it is painted red but it's uh, actually a john deere cab and a and a, a john deere power plant in it and uh, all of the machines that he has built he uses a lot of john deere parts because of the serviceability and the maintenance and the parts you know and the support for their systems and they've been able to work with him and that's really where the mower stemmed from and believe it or not in one of our conversations as we got to know each other on the baler he actually had told me one time he thought he would just tear it apart i about fell out of my chair and i said that would be the most ridiculous thing you'd ever do that led us into the journey of creating an agreement and uh, bringing it to texas and it's proved out extremely well, as I've posted on uh, social media. The best we've done up to now is 67 acres an hour. Uh, good running, you know. Not uh, there's a lot of tons in the field, but the mower wasn't having to process all of the tonnage, so you could move right along. It's got 480 hours on it. I think we've probably pushed it over 12 to 15,000 acres. And if you convert all that back to conventional machines it's just significantly different the tractor is built from high quality uh, hydraulic parts and this was part of the process that he took me on in a journey was discovering the differences in quality of parts that you can put into machinery and he uses all high grade stuff and everything he builds because he says his motto is i build it for life and i'll rebuild it for the next life i don't want to have to sell another machine I want to rebuild a carcass. And that's what I'm looking for. That was really what I wanted to find and was really hunting after. Um, anybody can pay for anything over a period of time. You know, you have to have time on your side while you're making a profit. But if we're constantly in this circle of giving away our profit to be able to do our job, it's backwards. Yep. And I finally just said, I'm, I don't want to participate in it and decided we were going to go this route and and that birth that big baler and that big swather and our goal is to uh, uh, end up with two of these big round balers have a stack truck following them and i truly believe that we'll be able to push across at least an average of 500 acres a day uh, between the two balers and mowing it uh, with that one swather ahead of it and it becomes about a three-man production crew, which is significantly different. You'll still have to have a stacker and a rake until we can perfect some of that stuff. But but that's the goal. Um, you know, 100,000 bales, we were, we were using 13 employees and usually had to have about 15 or 16 on staff to be sure you had everything manned. And even at that, a lot of your equipment set. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of issues that comes with help in our area is uh, one of the lowest unemployment rates in America. So it's hard to find help. And if you do find them, there's a reason why they don't have a job. So it just poses a lot of a lot of issues that most of us can relate to. We have to be able to figure out a resolve for that. And, you know, even on that note, I went the other way when we started over and mainly is because of what we could afford. But I said, I can hire people cheaper than I can buy the equipment. And I'm here to tell you living testimony that that's not true. Maybe that's all a person can afford at the time, but the bigger equipment is more efficient. Um, but you will find yourself in a very vicious cycle that you will likely never get out of unless you are extremely wise in the investments and you have a long-term plan. 
but I would venture to say at this point in time, for the cost of the equipment, we are likely not going to keep it paid for. And I just disagree with that. I strongly disagree with with farmers and production having to pay out so much money to do our job, and we're we're the experts, but yet we're like the the lowest on the return chain. And I just really disagree with it. So we, my wife and I, agreed that we were we were going to go down this journey. Most operations are only two to three years away from a bankruptcy or a sellout. And I hate to say that, but I think that's reality and true. And I've lived it. I mean, I've been through it at a really young age. And we just decided that we were going to go in a direction that would change our industry. Even if we weren't the successful ones, maybe we'd give someone else the opportunity to be successful off of our venture. And maybe not directly related, but even if it opened the door to change something later, then we were okay with that. You mean sparking an idea? Whether you spark an idea or maybe you're maybe you're a few years ahead of the game or maybe the production of something different usually takes several years to incorporate inside of an industry. And maybe we can't survive that. You know, maybe maybe our operation won't be able to do that. And I don't really want to speak that out over us. Like we're talking like we're going to we're going to do this thing and we're committed to it. If it doesn't for us, then hopefully we open the door for somebody else because there has to be change. There's got to be some solutions and somebody has to start it. We had an opportunity and it's exciting for me because I can tell the story. And not only can I tell a story, but you can see what become of the story reached a state of mind that needed a solution and not only did we find it we produced it that's pretty neat not very many people can say that go back and talk about some specifications on this equipment and then maybe where you're at using the big mower and and uh, where you're at on that big baler so it has the ability to lead multiple machines in different areas and we are spread out so the elimination of the machines, the efficiency of it, it'll run when you're running 60 some acres an hour, you're running on like a third of a gallon an acre. Um, if you get into where you're running 30 acres an hour, but you're putting a lot of tons through the machine, when the machine's running um, 60 some acres an hour, it'll be running on about a third of a gallon an acre. Uh, when it's high production tonnage, I can use up to a gallon an acre. I don't think I've really ever hit a gallon, but if you compare it back by the ton, it's still about 50% of the cost of a conventional machine. All we've been told in the last 10 to 15 years in the hay industry is to drive faster. You'll wear it out sooner so you can come back to get another one quicker. We're making 48 row planters and we're making a 20 foot swather. You know, no matter where you're at in row crop farming, you can buy a four row planter up to that 48 row that fits your operation. But we come to the Texas panhandle where we have to cover a lot of ground and our only answer is to buy more machines. And that just equates to more overhead and more people and more of everything. TJ, I've really enjoyed this and and I look forward to talking to you again and supporting you and all your innovations and, and what you're pushing for here. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys giving me the platform you have in Hey Kings, and it's been an interesting journey in there as well, but uh, I appreciate what you guys have done to support it in there, so thank you. 